You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just on 8.33 Central African Time. Yes, at that time of the evening where we join our very own Anwar Qasim on his segment of Drive-In with Anwar. Anwar also is an economist and alhamdulillah a world-class mechanic and a very astute businessman lecturer. We are quite fortunate to have maybe 10 in 1 on this platform, someone that we appreciate. Anwar Qasim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Tell me how are you doing this fine and beautiful Tuesday evening? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, Brother Shafat. Gee, Anwar, many things happening. And uh, we notice that the drama goes on, load shedding. But, uh, you know, we are quite fortunate in this area that, uh, yeah, we are relatively safe. But, uh, you know, you really feel for the whole country. And then we get, uh, you know, this uh, Mantashe, weather Mantashe, uh, he defends the use of coal. You know, first they were talking about cleaner energy, greener energy. They actually got money from, I think, Germany and the U.S. to tell them, you know what, clean up and uh, do it with coal. But now this country is uh, exporting coal to these countries that ask them to go green, both Germany and the Americans. Your comments are on what? Yeah, yeah, one needs to understand, you know, our country is run with 72.1% of coal. That's the energy that supplies our country. If you look at this year alone, I, I think we spent to the tune of 12 billion rands already on diesel, burning up diesel. Now, okay, you know, Brother uh, Shafat, if you look at renewable energy, I mean, all the countries are green. If you look at electric vehicles, everyone is going green because we know we messed up the ozone and everything that goes with it. But the fact of the matter, our country is making no incentives, no initiatives, nothing whatsoever. But the good part about our country being from the present all the way down to different sectors of the government departments, the funding is there. They are getting funding, you know, X, Y, and Z to go cleaner, but they're not. They refuse to actually do that because some of the arguments, like the DA made the argument that if we cut off coal completely, you find that uh, a lot of jobs will be lost. We can understand that part, but obviously, you know, a new type of renewable energy will create more jobs. And we can't go on like this because, really speaking, it's not really working. We've got coal on one side and we have diesel on the other side. We're actually running short of diesel, and that is why we are actually uh, having this load chain all these different levels, you know. I, I remember a few years ago it was right to level 4. Now they got to level 8, and it seems that numbers are carry on picking up as much as they can count, you know. So, Alhamdulillah, you know, somehow we get in by, it, it became a norm, but what our government does not realize is the amount of companies that's closing down, the amount of companies that's actually leaving our country. So when it comes to decision-making, we, we don't want to go uh, green, uh, cleaner energy, have such a renewable energy. You know, obviously the fault lies in the country because we can't stoop any lower than where we are right now. And everybody says, you know what, if we are in the industrial, uh, industrial revolution, it's time we actually upped our game to keep up with the rest of the countries. But I, I don't know, Brother Shafat, you know, every time you open the news, you, you find that we seem to be begging other countries. We seem to be, our government or our president seems to be in other countries waiting for handouts for, for all different type of aspects of this country. You know, this is one of the richest countries in the world. You know, we supply, if you look at gold, platinum, uranium, you name it, cobalt, everything comes from our Africa countries. You know, so we can be actually self-sustainable. But unfortunately, I think because the debt is sitting at over four trillion, which means every uh, one rand that this uh, economy makes, 60 cents go, uh, goes towards the interest, not towards paying the loan off. 
you know. So we're really in a very, very bad fix of situation in this country. So when it comes to this coal and this diesel brush about, it really doesn't, I think we've all come to a stage, we really, really don't care anymore. You know, we know that there's a 32% increase in lights uh, this coming year, in the first quarter, and it doesn't justify the fact that you're paying for something that you really don't have, you know. And according to uh, the stats, I, I think we need $1.3 trillion to bring ESCOM back on par, you know, or bring back energy, $1.3 trillion. And it's a hell of a lot of money, considering that we owe $4 trillion already. So there is no way. And then also, if you look at the stats, um, only 8% of this country, of over 58 million people, contribute t- towards taxes itself. So they want to actually drain out people. And on that topic alone, you know, if you look at the way people are, the, the, the earnings that they have, P-A-Y-E and whatever, you know, the amount of money the government taxes them. And then on top of that, they pay 15% on every single item they might purchase. So if you really look at it, uh, the person salary is basically cut in half when you consider, you know, the system that they use. If you add the 15% VAT and if you add the, the amount of taxes the person pays, you know, for uh, from his wage. So basically he works a month, but he actually gets paid for two weeks. And which is unfair also. That is the reason, that is one of the main reasons, you know, we have all these qualified people and all these business people leaving this country because of taxes. And everyone knows 8% of a population cannot hold a population together. So, you know, it becomes, you know, a catch two situation in this country, Brother Shafar. Yeah, sad indeed. Uh, uh, you know, make a lot of sense there. As you said, a tax to death. And, uh, you know, besides that, big uh, business sometimes are being threatened by uh, unions and uh, different uh, uh, other elements that get in there. Uh, the, uh, you look at the mining industry, you get this uh, the mafia cartel that is actually, that has infiltrated the mining industry and uh, making a healthy, you know, illegal profit from uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the gold that they are, uh, are mining using, uh, you know, the different types of uh, individuals. What's your, your comments on that, uh, Anwar? I personally feel it goes much deeper than that. You know, uh, we have tribal forces also at play. Uh, I remember this Anglo... Uh, Anglo-American actually, some time back, gave up. Uh, uh, they actually gave up one of their mines. You know, it was a blue, some blue chip mine, right? They gave it up, and because the reason being, there were three different tribal forces in the area, and there was so much in-house fighting. Anglo-American felt it was best to just give it up, and it's been dormant for I think for the last twelve odd years because this is one of the files that landed on my desk some time back. You know, so when it comes to the, as we got the construction mafia, we have the mining sector, they got mafias on that. We have the taxi industry. We have mafias in basically every government sector. And I, I would say, you know, um, as you know, as one see, one does. So if you look at the way our political system is run in this country, it is run exactly like the mafia system. If you look at our Minister of Safety and Security, you look at everything. If you listen to the abruptness when they talk, there is no compassion in their voice. They don't realize we pay the salary. Everything about them is coming from the 8% taxpayers or even the person who buys a loaf of bread. You know, irrespective of how you get the money, the point is they're getting a revenue. And the one thing that our government fails to understand is the fact that they work for us. 
they're civil servants, they fall under civil servants. And not to put it very blatantly, like as if they're slaves, no, no, no. They have to be justifiable in what they do for the community or for the, the people or the masses at large. But unfortunately, when it comes to, as you said, the mining sector and all the different sectors where the mafias are run, Shabbat, I think in the back of our minds, you know, um, I, I don't know how far democracy has really taken us, but I think we all know that it stems from high-profile government departments or government personnel, and it seems or, steam, or finds its way all the way down to the middlemen. And lately I've been noticing, if you look at the water department, look at the electrical department, the taxi industry has actually, they are basically the guys that's actually in charge of all those departments. You know, so that is the reason it takes two, three days to fix a small burst water pipe because everyone has to be given a chance. So everything, every sector is damaged right now, Brother Shafat. So this will explain why one pipe will be repaired over and over and over again for the whole year. That same pipe, which you think they have done, they dug up the road, they put new pipes, they covered it, and they tarred the road. And you'll find sometimes at 3 in the morning or 2.30, someone banging. They sabotage the, the, that pipe deliberately so that someone else will get a job. And we, the ratepayers and the taxpayers, will be paying for a job that was deliberately orchestrated to be redone. And what are your thoughts? Not very long ago, here in Isipingo Beach, I know I personally attended to this one where a pipe burst. And you had the, uh, one of the tractors to come and dig up the hole, and it was totally visible. But it took a full three days to get that pipe, a sleeve, onto that pipe. That's all it needed to be repaired. And uh, we kept on going backwards and forth, and uh, they've got a thing, you know, about them. No, we, we got the wrong pipe, uh, our generator has packed, or we're going to bring the new pipe, or the sleeve size, or the diameter. And each one comes with a story. And, the, and what you will notice, and it happens in every area, uh, these guys will just sit, they'll act busy, you'll find one or two people just around the hall, doing absolutely nothing, and you'll find one of the guys just sitting in his vehicle. And I think we're all used to that. And uh, finally, the idea of this whole thing, when I did speak to the one gentleman, the guy that actually came and fixed it was a nice gentleman, a black guy. And it took him 25 minutes. And I asked him, I says, why 25 minutes? Couldn't they do this three days ago? And he turned on to me and says, listen, between us, this is controlled by the taxi industry. And if you don't give these guys each one a chance, then they will be into trouble. And their life is in danger, firstly. And secondly, you know, if they don't get paid, which means they won't be on the roll call the next time. So to secure the next job and to get, make sure everyone gets paid, that is the reason they actually prolong all these jobs. So it really doesn't take that long, Abba Shabbat. When it comes to the incompetence, when you say where a pipe breaks, obviously, because it, as I mentioned, you know, it streamlines all the way from the upper level all the way down to the layman. And the guy who actually fixes the pipe really doesn't get paid much. He's a private, he comes from the private sector, and he basically subs off somebody who subs off a third person, and it goes on like that. You know, so obviously we would not get that standard that's expected when it comes to anything being repaired nowadays. Uh, that explains, uh, you know, when you go and question uh, these individuals, some of them don't want to talk. They'll ask you, oh, so why are you interested? Uh, you know, what position do you hold in the community and so forth? Because I was talking to a, a few of the uh, CPF members, you know, and uh, this is what they, but lucky they got their credentials. And then only then uh, where uh, these, uh, you know, officials uh, 
forthcoming with the uh, with the information and so forth. So uh, we actually, when you take them on, you're taking on a very dangerous uh, uh, cartel, Anwar. Most definitely. When it comes, you know, as I mentioned firsthand, it wasn't the first experience I had, and uh, it's actually somewhat of a dangerous thing, you know. It's it's run exactly like the taxi industry because the taxi bosses are basically in charge of this. A majority of them are in charge of this year, you know. So obviously, you don't want to go up against them also at the same time. But the person who's actually sitting in that zone, really, most of them know absolutely nothing about plumbing. They're not even plumbers. You know, I've spoken to quite a few of them, and they're not even plumbers. They're just there to take up space so the bosses get paid, and everyone's happy beside the community at large who really doesn't have water. So, no, Brother Shafat, it's a no-win situation. Not in this country, not in any sector. You name a sector that that is proving, uh, has proved itself, not a single government sector. If you look at the government at large, when the first lockdown came, he went and he touched into the uh, pension fund and he took out 20 billion from there to create, uh, uh, he also privatized or create a government clinic as such or pharmaceutical company. Now, if you look at these underhand deals that these guys are doing, really, if they don't straighten themselves up in the upper ranks, how are the guys at the bottom, lower level, they, they don't care. And now every time you open the news, there's hundreds of millions that has fortunately disappeared. And they might, uh, you know, take away a few people's cars and houses, but everyone knows that all this money has been shipped overseas, you know, like the Cayman Islands once upon a time. This was bank account. Everyone knew if you had your account, you were safe. Now it's not safe. Internationally, you are definitely not safe, you know. But somehow, the governments of these other countries allow our money to come in. If you look at Zimbabwe itself, you know, Robert Mugabe, he owns places in uh, Burj Khalifa. He owns uh, quite a few properties in uh, Dubai itself. How is it a country that was starving, Right, that where you need a couple suitcases of money to buy a loaf of bread could afford a place in Burj Khalifa. So, you know, the sad part is all the governments, if you really think about it, they really, you know, they really need to come to the party. How we, the so-called UN, if you look at them, for example, they don't really benefit anybody. They only benefit the people or the country that they can gain from some raw materials or the riches of the country. They work exactly like the European countries because Britain used to be exactly the same. That's the reason South Africa and India and all the other countries, you know, we, they were our independence, basically. We had to, you know, uh, fall under these guys. So all those countries, you know, uh, Shafar, they should actually create a pact, you know, how you get FICA, you know, the government. Where does he get so much money from to buy in these such places? But they easily accept the money, and we as an economy, actually, we downscale and we actually lose. And uh, we know that these are big conglomerates. They ensure the type of government they want in certain places. And if that government is compliant and does what they tell them to do, then they let them do whatever they do. But as long as uh, the conglomerates are, you know, uh, benefiting. Unlike, you know, when Imran Khan, you know, were boldly questioned the intentions of the U.S. and many others, he was uh, quickly replaced, and you know how that was done. Well, Anwar, moving on, we see that China makes its first delivery of homegrown passenger jets. So the Chinese are getting into passenger jets. What's your thoughts, Anwar? Uh, China actually read the article. It's very, very interesting. I, I know the two, the first two, the prototypes actually failed and crashed. 
And apparently they have actually perfected it, and they came up with this uh, aircraft, the C-919. And this is actually to challenge the Boeing uh, 737 MAX, the Airbus A320, and they're quite actually, you know, famous in our uh, traveling circles, I would say, or, you know, in the air. So they've already got funding, $17 billion, and China, $70 million, uh, billion, I would say. And according to them, they already have... Uh, orders that's actually about 300 but nothing is confirmed as yet now uh, apparently I, I think what gives a lot of people confidence a lot of countries confidence is the fact that a lot of these items to manufacture this aircraft is from overseas countries and i think that will give certain amount of confidence it's not a mass-produced thing you know so well, i'm not sure how stringent they will be on the testing because uh, as i mentioned two of the earlier uh, prototypes uh, you know uh they, they actually failed. So hopefully, you know, they, if you look at the world of travel, if you look at the A industry itself, you know, competition is good in that market because I know British Airways had it for quite a while. There's quite a few. Yeah, if you look at Richard Branson, you know, there's just a few that is really famous. And I actually thrive on the fact that, you know, I, I like a, a small, another company to come and create competition. And if you look at China, China creates competition wherever it settles itself, you know. So maybe it's a good thing also, you know, it, although you might not take the flight, the fact is that the flight um, prices might actually come a little down, uh, you know, once they enter the market fully. You know, so we're not really sure they, they've got all these orders. Uh, they're not really sure when they're going to start actually manufacturing worthies in the first quarter of 2023. Not really sure once again. Nothing's been confirmed, just like the orders. But uh, hopefully, you know, competition is good. I, I would say competition is excellent in any market. And China will be the, uh, a good example to create that competition in this line of, uh, of field itself. Very interesting there, Anwar. And uh, then we look at... Uh uh, engineering unleashes. This is uh, uh, engineering uh, uh, unleashes new B6 uh, armored Iveco uh, tracker truck. I mean, uh, this is uh, quite interesting. Uh, B6 armored truck with a tracker. What's the what's that all about, and what? I, I suppose more for actually transportation of you know. Uh, I would say dangerous goods, expensive goods, I would say. Uh, armored vehicle. Uh, this vehicle is actually manufactured by SBI in Pretoria. It's an engineering company. Uh, I, the, the steel they actually use on this vehicle, including the uh, armored plate, uh, plated glass, adds another half a ton of 500 kgs to the overall uh, tar of the vehicle itself. And I, I think in the, considering that country that we live in, you know, if you look at the cash in transit, if you look at the hits and runs, most of the guys are using all those German vehicles like Mercedes for word, where they bump into those vehicles and they think they, they blow up the back doors. So they also, you know, when it comes to uh, cash in transit, you know, uh, all the guys that actually is into the, the syndicate that works into it, this is the type of vehicle that will give them competition because you can actually withstand the AK-47 uh, quite a few, uh, if you look at the R5, the R1, you know, so on the direct hit, it's not going to penetrate the steel or the uh, glass itself. So Alhamdulillah, you know, I suppose in a country, and you pity the people, you know, especially uh, cash in transit guys, so many of them are losing their lives just for the sake of money. And unfortunately, although they have armored vehicles, I think we're all aware of it, but uh, the degree of armor is not as grand. Now, this said vehicle, it takes a six-month delivery time, and it starts off 
for, for from anywhere around the 650,000 mark, and you can actually custom make it to whatever you, uh, needs you want, basically to suit you. It can be converted into an ambulance, you can be converted to a minibus itself, you know, so... Or a fire truck itself. So I suppose, you know, depending in writing times, looting times again, which I'm sure, I actually, I think the whole country forces in a very, very near future, you know, something like this can actually protect the people, you know. So if you look at the ambulance workers, if a few is actually bought off this year, they can actually go into townships, which right now, hearses and I think we're all aware that hearses and um, if you look at the police themselves, certain areas like Chesterville for one, which uh, is an ANC stronghold, you can't really go into certain areas. So with the armored vehicle, I think it will give, you know, our ambulance personnel and even our police force, you know, the extra, you know, confidence to actually go into certain areas with this year. So as I say, you know, stop crime where it starts and certain areas I know it's all red zones, you know, as they say. So I suppose a vehicle like this, even the government should actually consider taking some of the money that he's taken and, you know, actually utilize it into this vehicle that can actually benefit the people in the surrounding areas where there's all this, all this, this trouble always sparking. Yes, I've got, there's so many fraudsters, uh, uh, scamsters, all want to make a quick buck. But the question I want to pose to you, second-hand car purchase, how to avoid buying a stolen vehicle in South Africa? Because sometimes the people say, hey, there's online, I'm, I'm going to buy a computer. And next moment, yeah, it's a stolen computer. How do you avoid uh, a buying a stolen vehicle in South Africa? Tell us on what. You know, it's uh, once again, I'll use the phrase catch-22. I'll tell you why, and this is how I'll start this. If you had to take that vehicle for the engine and chassis clearance to a pound as such, you will find that once it, it passes that engine and chassis clearance, all the guy does is he, he looks, he takes a visual of it, they take a photograph of it, and they scribble on a page. But if you look at the bottom of the page, somewhere on the page is written, they won't be held responsible if the vehicle was tampered with previously. For, so basically, at the best of their knowledge, they feel that vehicle will be okay. So even a police clearance nowadays doesn't suffice when it comes to that. What a person needs to do, actually speaking, if a vehicle is after the year 2012, all these vehicles, it became composite for them to have a, a data dot or micro dot, as they may put it. You know, it's a scanner or ultraviolet light that they actually use. So you can go to any one of those data dot guys and they will actually scan that vehicle and see and the chassis, the VIN number will actually pop up because it is small cells basically on it. You know, and I think, you know, what also makes it difficult is the car manufacturers because the, the way if you look at, you open a bonnet, it is so difficult to find the engine number on certain vehicles. Some of them are actually behind the motor, you know, where you cannot even see it. You need a, a torch, you, you need a, a mirror, you know, so to make it difficult for the layman to actually visualize or look at this engine and chassis number. But if it is something that you can actually look at, I will always say, if a person is interested in buying a vehicle, take it to your local mechanic as such and to basically give it an overall look. But he will have a little more experience because he works with vehicles all the time. He will know if uh, the chassis or the engine number is basically tampered with because of the years of experience that he has put into it. And obviously, it has to tell you to the license disc itself. You know, and 
the one very uh, crucial part or important part also if a vehicle comes with service history uh, one very important aspect is how long does a person have a vehicle is a person a dealer does he have a dealer's license so there are quite a number of crucial questions a person needs to ask but unfortunately the downside to it duplication and i think we're all aware of that because you'll find that vehicles are duplicated at our licensing department and the plates that we are talking about or the numbers is easily stamped by any so-called engineer who has the prints or the stamps for it you know, so duplication, and if you lose a logbook, I know that for a couple hundred rands, you can get a duplicated logbook on any vehicle. I think quite a few people know somebody out there. You know, we live in an underworld at the moment. So uh, duplication is one of the, also the crucial aspect. If the person is the owner, you know, look at his credentials itself. I think one of the worst things people actually do, especially now with social media, if you look at Facebook and all the different medias we have, is a person gets desperate for a vehicle and he sees a vehicle pop up on and uh, the next thing he knows he gets to talk with the so-called owner and the owner might be a, a distant away and to secure that car because of desperation the person puts in or deposits money or does an EFT and that is one of the biggest cons you know where there is no vehicle and what the guys are actually doing on social media, media is they're use, using other people's ads and they're fabricating their own and you'll see, you know, all different race groups, you know, try to sell vehicles. But most of them, or a lot of them, are basically cons. So you need to be careful. I have always believed that if you cannot see it, you cannot feel it, or you cannot drive it, stay away from it. You know, don't deposit money. I think that's first and foremost. When it comes to the credentials of the vehicle itself, be extra careful. Look at the logbook. If it's a new logbook, then you have reason to worry. Why is it a new logbook? You know, the vehicle, has, the logbook has to be a little oldish, you know, uh, numbers has to tally, you know, and as I mentioned, uh, from 2012, compulsory when it comes to data dot. So these are some of the things, you know, our, our listeners out there or new buyers can actually take precautions when, or measures when they're actually buying a vehicle. Tell you, uh, Anwar, absolutely, mashallah, this evening, and uh, perhaps your parting words uh, before we let you go. No, Alhamdulillah, you know, every time I, I we, we go on to the show and, you know, our listeners out there must make me laugh. I, I get a bit worked up, but uh, frustrated, you know, because the topics, some of the topics we choose and, you know, unfortunately we cannot go in-depth, although I, my knowledge on certain topics uh, are far-reaching, but, uh, you know, it, it disturbs you in the country we live in and considering, you know, silly seasons here at the moment and, and you, you look at people's faces at times like this and you realize there is so much of sadness in our country, Brother Shafar. Unlike other overseas countries, you know, everyone is looking forward. It's like a bonus for them, a 13 check. It's the one time in the year, you know, the employed actually has a break. They can spend time with their family. But unfortunately, Brother Shafar, we have sinister uh, things at work here. You know, we have um, the robbery steps, everything at its life at periods or moments like this year. So, uh, brothers and sisters out there, if a message goes out, you know, just look after yourselves, look after your family. I might say it, you know, as a broken record has been mentioned, but the fact is, you know, this dunya is, is so temporary, but the life that we were given is a gift, and it is something that we need to treasure. And treasure all those, you know, look after everyone around you, whether you know them or don't know them. Well, I know you're a selfless man also, and what an absolute pleasure having you. You have a beautiful, a lovely evening ahead, and inshallah, we will talk to you soon. Anwar, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
Yes, people, time for us to go for the Isha Azan. And uh, thereafter, we will continue with uh, the family room with Morana Salim Karim.